uh, I will mention even convalescent plasma. Uh, the, the South African variant uh, seems to have immune escape. I'm Faith Rogers, host of today's program, COVID-19, Keeping Up with a Moving Target. This is the February 3rd update of DKB Med Radio's Coronavirus Educational Series. Thank you for joining us. This activity is jointly provided by the Postgraduate Institute for Medicine, DKB Med, and the Institute for Johns Hopkins Nursing. Today's program is accredited for ANCC and AAPA credit, as well as AMA PRA Category 1 credits. Please visit our website for complete CE information. If you're tuning into our webcast, please click the red Claim Credit button in the webinar console to attest for credit. Otherwise, please visit covid19.dkbmed.com. Today's learning objectives are discuss changes in SARS-CoV-2 since the Wuhan strain was identified and discuss implications of newer variants on vaccine development. This educational activity is supported by independent medical educational grants from Gilead Sciences Incorporated, Regeneron Pharmaceuticals Incorporated, and Eli Lilly and Company, as well as in-kind support by DKB Med LLC. All activity content and materials have been developed solely by the activity directors, planning committee members, and faculty presenters. With us today, we have Dr. Paul Awater, Clinical Director of the Division of Infectious Diseases at Johns Hopkins School of Medicine. Thank you and welcome back, Dr. Awater. Yeah, thank you, Faith. So I, I thought I would start off today with two things. Um, first, just a brief comment on some recent vaccine news that might be useful for you to know about. And the second is to dive a little uh, deeper into the viral variants, which certainly have been in the press uh, of late. Uh, I think most people are now familiar with the uh, Pfizer and Moderna data but I wanted to update you on some items for the last three vaccine rows in this uh, chart. So Gamalea, that's sometimes known as a Sputnik V vaccine from Russia, is a uh, two-shot endeavor with two different strains of adenovirus, but uh, they have just reported in the Lancet um, a 91.6% efficacy, which is very similar uh, to the data which they had offered by press release earlier. Um, it works apparently as well in the over 60-year group. I don't think we'll see this vaccine in the United States, but I, I wanted to just uh, uh, comment on it because uh, as with most adenovirus vaccines, it can be just refrigerated for distribution, and many countries have been using it already before the phase three data was uh, published, but I think there'll be a more um, distribution now uh, so that's just something to put into the calculus for the global pandemic. Now, the Oxford-AstraZeneca vaccine also, uh, if it comes to the U.S., will be a bit down the road. Um, earlier data had this odd finding where a small a subset of the original study had received at half the dose number one, which seemed to have a better response. But because of the viral variants, which we'll get to, um, there was pressure to hold on the second dose and extend it until later for 12 weeks. And uh, from that initial trial experience with that strategy, AstraZeneca released data just today uh, that uh, there was 76% efficacy with that one dose strategy. 
uh, using the, um, the chimpanzee adenovirus vector, which is non-replicating. And of course, this vaccine is a bit more stable and uh, is perhaps the lowest cost one uh, that's projected. So lots of countries across the planet have uh, contracted with them to get doses. The newest kit on the block with recent data just released is the uh, Janssen vaccine, which also uses adeno 26. And this is a very rare adenovirus uh, for human infection. And that's important. So hopefully people don't have pre-existing immunity to the adenovirus vector. So it can truly concentrate on the spike protein and not get um, uh, waylaid by the adenovirus component. It is just one dose, which of course is a big help logistically. However, it, it really overall did not do quite as well as the uh, mRNA vaccines at 66%. It fared a bit well uh, higher uh, in the United States, but in South Africa, where the predominant uh, strain during this trial was the viral variant, which we'll get to uh, a bit later, had lower efficacy at 57%. But importantly, uh, severe COVID-19 was um, avoided in 85% of people. And so I think this is hugely important if it can expand the supply. Uh, it may not be quite as efficacious for preventing severe COVID-19 as the mRNA vaccines, but certainly um, has a fit right now uh, to help staunch the pandemic. It also only needs to be refrigerated. I put in the estimated cost, that's the operation warp speed uh, purchase price there. Um, what it will be uh, for other countries, I cannot say. So the, the virus variants have been in the news for a while. And I think anyone who's done HIV care is very used to discussing uh, mutations and variants, but it's probably new uh, for uh, really being at the forefront for general practices, but it is something that is being paid close attention. And uh, here you have a cartoon of the SARS-CoV genome, and the United Kingdom really had included routine testing of the virus, uh, genetic sequencing, uh, which has only been done sporadically in the United States until very recently. Uh, so now there's a huge effort to try to do this, and uh, basically, the countries that have been looking for issues have sort of come up with these variants, which we'll talk more about. One, which sometimes is referred to as a UK strain, but who knows if it really started there, and that's the B117. And the other, the B1351, um, uh, first identified in South Africa. The concerns are that these seem to be produced in higher carriage in the, the upper respiratory tract, therefore may be more easily transmissible because you have higher viral loads. And at least for the UK experience, uh, there's an indication that it may be more virulent. So the uh, UK strain here has at least 23 mutations. So it really accumulated a huge amount. And the so-called uh, E um, component has just also been described in it. And it's unclear uh, people are very nervous about this E484K, which was not in the original B117 strain, uh, because it may be that this will decrease uh, uh, efficacy of the spike-based proteins. And at least, although there needs to be confirmation, uh, there is a sense that this has resulted in more uh, deaths in the United Kingdom uh, given uh, compared to earlier strains. Uh, the, the, the P1 strain, which has this E484K, 
was uh, first identified in people in Japan who had been from had been in Brazil and now seems to be in Brazil. Uh, not yet as widely acknowledged, but one that I think is producing a lot of worry for people. And then lastly, on the bottom, the B1351, uh, again, has similar uh, mutations. The N501Y is one which uh, may alter the binding uh, of the spike protein to the ACE2 inhibitor and facilitate that uh, bind more tightly. Uh, so, and this is thought to be one of the uh, possibilities for fostering increased transmission. Now in the United States, as I've mentioned, we really haven't looked that hard, but uh, we've seen at least 32 states as of late January, which have reported viral variants of the UK uh, described strain. Fewer, uh, including our home state of Maryland, um, have had the strain first identified in South Africa. But the issue I would point out to everyone is which country in the world has had the highest number of COVID cases? Which country has used more remdesivir, the antiviral? Which country has used more convalescent plasma? Uh, all these could pressure virus to, to mutate, to uh, have either immune escape or antiviral escape. So, and the answer of course is the United States, but we're only beginning to have large scale uh, sequencing. Uh, here at Hopkins, we're sequencing up to 200 uh, viruses per week, but much larger scale is needed. And of course, uh, one idea is whether some of the hot spots in the United States, such as Southern California or Southern Florida, may have its own kind of viral variants. And clearly, some have already been identified in Ohio and California, but are not yet studied enough to make much comment. But where we are in terms of immunizations, uh, we are immunizing about uh, almost one and a half million people per day. And I think it's important because the, this New York Times map tells you that some smaller states are doing better than larger states perhaps. And it gives you a percentage uh, there. But I, I think it's important because this New York Times map and one that's often uh, replicated like that uh, includes the entire US population, which is about 331 million. But really there are only 220 million adults that probably should be counted in that. So I figure that at least 11.8% of the US population has received at least one dose. And that's quite meaningful because even one mRNA dose seems to offer protection and uh, protection within uh, about 10 days after that first jab. And importantly, uh, nearly 23% of the prioritized population, of course, that's uh, people over 75 or 65, depending on the state, have been immunized. So some progress is being made and it's picking up, although the vaccine supply uh, now has been challenging where uh, initially was set standing up places to get the vaccine and personnel. So it remains challenging from a logistic perspective. But I'd like to uh, point out that many people are looking at Israel for a number of reasons, but primarily because uh, it may be the uh, laboratory for real world efficacy. Now, the vast majority of vaccine administered in this country has been the Pfizer vaccine, a much smaller percentage Moderna, but over 30% have been immunized in the last five weeks. So uh, the country and 70% of people over 60 years. And what that's yielded is a real world efficacy that's maybe calculated at 92% uh, from the Israeli National Health. 
service. And this is very close to the 95% clinical trial experience and that only a tiny percentage of people after the second vaccine have needed hospitalization. Uh, and of course, that could be for other reasons as well. I think this just highlights that even if there are viral variants, these vaccines at the moment, we are not really losing uh, traction, at least in terms of impact on clinical uh, disease or hospitalization. And of course, Israel has a national health service, but also an electronic vaccine registry. So they've uh, coordinated with Pfizer to really get data. And this will be likely um, re-talked about, I should say, every week or two as more and more data is accrued. Uh, so what about these variants? So at the moment, most molecular platforms look for two to three targets, including the N protein and the open reading frame. So most molecular platforms should have no problem detecting these variants. But if it's only one target and perhaps antigen tests could fall into this, um, there may be problems So uh, to keep an eye. In terms of treatments, uh, no known impact yet for remdesivir, which works on the RNA polymerase of the virus. Monoclonal antibodies, though, bad news here. The uh, 501YV2, that's also the South African-derived variant, um, has complete escape. It has really no impact. But the most common strain in the United States, the 614G, and also the UK strains, the B117, uh, both have retained activity. Uh, so for example, the uh, monoclonal, the Bamlanivimab, which is under an emergency use right now, Eli Lilly is combining it with uh, two other neutralizing antibodies that bind to different parts of the spike protein and see if this proves more effective. So that's already in uh, trial. Uh, I will mention even convalescent plasma, uh, the, the South African variant uh, seems to have immune escape but perhaps uh, with high titer plasma, it may not. We're really not sure about that in detail. So why, why is there th these problems with variants and what's going on with uh, so-called neutralizing antibodies, which we think is what predominantly offers protection? So um, we do know that the uh, Janssen vaccine, that single dose vaccine, has reduced activity in South African patients it looks like mRNA vaccines retain sufficient activity. We'll talk about some of this may be due to how the receptor binding domain, the RBD here on the spike protein, does seem to change position, meaning uh, that high receptor binding means that it will bind uh, fairly tightly and so on. But when it's in this low or lying down phase, it, it may evade it. And so this may be one characteristic of this trimeric protein uh, that uh, can foster immune evasion. And, and the other is, of course, these alterations in the main receptor binding domain. And this is what's thought to be the predominant neutralizing locale of antibodies. So changes there are making people very nervous. Uh, what we do know, for example, and this is just one of a number of studies, but I'll just show you, is a sera from the Moderna vaccine was um, studied and has no impact on the common strains of the United States or in the UK uh, with its variant B117. Uh, but in South Africa, there seemed to be more of a reduction, as you can see here in uh, the D in panel D. Uh, and this is similar to some other studies as well. 
but it's uh, thought to still be uh, quite sufficient for providing neutralization of the virus, but everyone is watching this quite, quite closely. So in closing, uh, the variants, I think if they become predominant means that the current monoclonal antibodies, which are not uh, as widely adopted as we hoped for um, uh, treatment or even prevention yet pending studies, uh, may become useless and this is important. It looks like the message RNA vaccines uh, are still uh, highly efficacious and also may have uh, benefits of having other aspects of immunity from T cells. And lastly, um, uh, companies including Pfizer and uh, Moderna are already looking at altering their vaccine with a new product based on these changes that could be potentially used as a third booster if necessary. So uh, I think everyone is trying to be as uh, proactive as possible. I think this is very good, but it's a situation that bears watching as we head further into the winter and spring although cases are declining, which is very good news overall. So thanks very much for listening this week and uh, uh, hope everyone uh, stays safe well and gets the vaccine as soon as they're eligible. Thank you. Dr. Allwater, thank you again for those updates. If you're tuning into our webcast, please click the red claim credit button in the webinar console to attest for credit. Otherwise, please visit covid19.dkbmed.com. Any questions or issues, feel free to email us at the address listed. To submit questions, please send them to qa at dkbmed.com. That's Q as in question, A as in answer, at dkbmed.com. Again, thanks for joining us and thank you for your dedication to your patients with COVID-19.